The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You found Destination Love with Shelley Pumphrey. This is not a program about becoming the perfect date or how to get that special someone you've been admiring to notice you. Instead, we'll bring you the science behind how to find love and show how being your true self generally works best. Now, here's your host, Shelley Pumphrey. Welcome back to Destination Love. I am very excited to have everybody here today. This is Shelley Pumphrey, and we are going to be talking all about the science of love today. So I want to um, just welcome everybody back and say that we're going to kind of go into some different topics here over the next few weeks. I know we've been talking about um, finding your soulmate and kind of looking at a little bit more of the spiritual and energetic sides of uh, finding a partner, Um, but we're going to take a a more literal focus here today, and I have a pretty interesting guest here. Her name is Dawn Masler, and Dawn is a biology professor and an award-winning author. She's here to share with us all about the science of the brain and how it works when we're falling in love. So, um, Dawn has been a TEDx speaker. She was at TEDx Boca Raton in 2016, and she talked about how your brain falls in love. And then she was also at the TEDx West Broward High 2016, um, or she was a presenter at that time, and she talked about falling in versus staying in love. She's also been voted one of the top 20 most followed dating experts on Twitter and the best 28 dating, marriage, and relationship blogs in the UK uh, to follow in 2015. So she's got a lot of people that are listening to her and has a lot of expertise in this. Um, She's been featured in the Miami Herald, on NPR, and most recently, Don came out with a great book called Men Chase, Women Choose, The Neuroscience of Meeting, Dating, Losing Your Mind, and Finding True Love. And I can tell you that it's a very helpful book. Um, and Don's got a great story, too. So, Don, I want to welcome you this morning. I'm so glad to have you and to pick your brain a little bit about how our brains work when we're falling in love. So, welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Shirley. It's so glad to be here this morning. Yeah, yeah. Great to have you. So I love that, you know, I find it interesting that you started out as a biologist, a biology professor, I should say, mm-hmm. and here you are writing books about love. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up doing all this research on love. Yeah, it's kind of a convoluted thing. You wouldn't expect a biologist to be focusing on love, but it was based on necessity, I unfortunately was one of those women that were attracted to the wrong men. So Mm -hmm. when I was moved down to Florida, I started teaching and I was teaching biology at the local college during the day. And at night I was following around this bad boy biker in the band, (laughs) listening to his band play and try to figure out how I could work a relationship with this guy, which didn't work. We were not supposed to be together. We didn't, we were kind of complete opposites and didn't have much in common, but I tried to interject myself into his life, even to the point of buying a motorcycle. So I, um, (laughs) I was a motorcycle riding college professor with a crush on a bad boy. It was a bad, bad, uh, I, I know some women that do that. Maybe they aren't biology professors, but the story resonates with a lot of us, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was was wondering why I was doing that. And Mm -hmm. what ended up happening is I discovered it was a painful situation. So I wanted to get out of it and I had to discover what was going on. And people have had told 
do this, do that, do all these different things. So I started incorporating. I did a whole bunch of different things. You know, I did journaling. I did meditation. I did therapy and did counseling, all kinds of stuff. And after that, I I started, I wrote the book because I realized there were a bunch of women that were out there that had the same affliction that I did. And I wrote the book. It was called The Broken Picker Fixer. And then it was republished under Heartbreak, From Heartbreak to Heart's Desire. But it basically was about my why, why are we attracted to the wrong men? And after that book was published, I started doing women's groups and, and workshops and those type of things. And the same questions came kept coming up. How does love really work? You know, okay, great, Dawn. We, we stopped being attracted to the wrong men, but how do we attract the right men? And how do we make a relationship work? So... When they asked me those questions, everybody had all these different crazy ideas like the three-day rule, the 90-day rule, and all these conflicting type opinions. So I decided, hey, I'm a biologist. I have access to the greatest research on the planet. Let me start looking into this. And it took me about five years. I pieced together all the latest science when it came to love. So I go through attraction, how you fall in love, what happens when you fall in love, and how you can have long-term love. Wow, I love it. Um, I definitely want to know know more because I think people don't realize how much there is science behind this. You know, we just feel those good, happy feelings and think everything's okay. But then, you know, like a story like yours, like you keep ending up with these partners that are no good for you. And, you know, later on, it always feels like when the high wears off, you start to see the partner that you're really with. So um, I'd love to know a little bit more. I know that in your book, you talk about um, there being four phases to love. Can you talk a little bit more about that for us? Sure. The subtitle of the book is The Neuroscience of Meeting, Dating, Losing Your Mind, and Finding True Love. And that's the four stages. The first stage is meeting or attraction. And most, some people, and I was one of those, and that was part of my problem. I thought if I walked into a room and there was a guy there that made my heart skip a beat, that I was in, this must be love. You know, mm-hmm. And I found out that it was just attraction. And, and actually, it's part of it was mostly lust. And mm-hmm. that, was my, that was my bad boy biker. It was just kind of, a, I had a bad case of lust. But it, it really has nothing to do with love. It can turn into love, but it has really nothing to do with love. Only later, when you start getting to know the person and you build up the neurotransmitters to fall in love, that's which are a different set of neurotransmitters. So then that's the dating part. That's where you build up the neurotransmitters. And then the third phase is where you fall in love. And falling in love is actually a distinct neurological stage. And we can see, we can take fMRIs of your brain and we see that parts of your brain actually shut down. I can take blood tests and I can see that your neurotransmitters are going haywire. And So it's a definable stage of falling in love. But the thing is, it's not even required for real love, for true love. All those Mm -hmm. three, those first three stages are great, helps us to to get to love. But the fourth stage is actually true love. And And true love turns out to be making a conscious decision. Because we see that love actually changes in the brain. It occupies areas of the brain where, that are, um, connected to maternal love and unconditional love, brotherly love. Um, but it it's also what you're thinking about. So if you're very stressed out, stress can actually sever the connections to love uh, because it pulls you back into a different part of your brain. This, Interesting, this one, yeah. The part of the brain that's uh, involved in survival. Right. Can you talk about that a little more? Because I... I I do a lot of, um, I try to help people understand how that survival part of the brain really comes into play um, in our relationships. Um, tell us a little bit more about how that can interrupt that process. Well, it can interrupt your interrupt the process in the beginning, but it can interrupt actually all the way through. So when you first are attracted to someone, you know, the, the, the heartbeats, the sweaty palms, the dilated pupils, 
that's a, actually a fight or flight response. That's mm-hmm. a stress response. You're under stress. And we think it's love. And it's it has really it's supposed to be it's meant to be temporary. It's supposed to just get you pay attention to get you to safety. So we call it the fight or flight response, but the fight or flight response actually has several more response. It includes fight, flight, feeding, and you know, stress eating, and then also we'll say having fun, which is there's another F, but we can't say it on the on this kind of program. But having I'm sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> we know what you're talking about. So those and I think it's it's nature's way of keeping the population high. Because you think about it, if you're under stress, you're into war, famine, maybe it's the plague. The last thing you want to do is have sex. But if she attaches it to stress, then you're like more likely to continue on the population. So that that's the first mistake. That's the first part where stress comes in. If we misinterpret stress, and there's a thing called misattribution of attraction. So they did a study. They put these guys on a suspended bridge and in another set on a smaller bridge. And they, while they're walking across this scary bridge, they had a woman come out and ask them some questions and give her her phone number. And they found that if you were on the scary suspended bridge, you were more likely to call her than you were if you were on the babbling brook bridge, where it was the, not, you, you wouldn't have any, it was not scary at all. And they realized that it's called misattribution of attraction. So when the more scared you are, the more likely you're going to be attracted. It's the thing behind the tunnel of love ride. They used to, back in the day, they had this ride where mm-hmm. you go into a dark tunnel, you get scared, and you come out the other end, and you're in love. It's a misattribution of attraction. Wow. So that's your first potential stress response. Later, uh, the stress can come in where it becomes uh, challenging to actually build a relationship. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have a thing called the amygdala, which sounds the alarm. And it create that has felt like anxiety. And the amygdala becomes very active in the dating phase, which makes sense because if you're going to fall in love with somebody, you want to make sure that they're worthy to fall in love with. But one of the things that sometimes happens is that we we get so anxious that we try to disconnect from the amygdala. And the one way we can disconnect from the amygdala is to jump into falling in love. Because we find that when you fall in love, the amygdala deactivates. So, and women are more likely to fall in love if she becomes sexual. So she gets anxious. She get she she goes. All right, I'm just gonna have you know go ahead and have a sexual relationship. She thinks the anxiety is because of the tension, the sexual tension. Then she falls in love, and then boom, now she's in the relationship for a while. And, and some women can get in trouble because men don't fall in love that way. So there's there's this stress is having a problem in the dating phase. When you fall in love, your cortisol level's high, so it really doesn't matter if you have any stress. But it's later, once your brain comes back, homeostasis and true love is where the stress can come back in again. And our True love is really in the prefrontal cortex part of your brain, the front, the thinking part of your brain. And if you become too stressed out, it pulls the activity back into the middle part of the brain, which is really involved in in survival. So you're actually not being in the loving part of your brain. You're more concerned with yourself when you're under stress. And that can... Uh, cause a dis that can cause you to disconnect from your partner, and if you're under stress too long, um, the relationship it will destroy the relationship. Interesting, and the stress can be from outside of the relationship, or it could also be inside of the relationship. Stress can be it's stress can be anywhere. Stress, is stress. yeah. Mostly, the stress is how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a person it, that is has natural anxiety levels anyway higher anxiety levels it's going to be more difficult for you potentially more difficult for you but if you're if you use practices like one of the things is meditation which as a scientist it, those type of things kind of sounded like oh 
you know, those are kind of book, you know, woo, right. whatever. But actually, the research shows that the meditation shrinks the mass of the amygdala, which is sounding the alarm. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense why meditation would work to help a relationship and also being grounded. And, and he, I'm going to say, say one other thing that doesn't sound very scientific, but um, having a relationship with a higher power, mm-hmm. or with the God or with every Buddha, whatever you want to call him, that that type of relationships helps keeps you grounded and less likely to be stressed out. Yeah. I so spirituality, agree. meditation, yoga, all those type of things really help taking care of yourself. You know, they talk about self-love first mm-hmm. is important because if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to be more likely to um, be affected by stress. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Great advice. And I love how you can connect that into you know, like you're giving it some scientific backing, like this is why it's important to do things like that, whether it is, you know, having some kind of spiritual connection or just simply getting calm and doing some meditation. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. So let's see, did we, so we covered all four phases, right? Yes. All four phases? Okay, so... I know I heard another, um, or I know that you talk about another interesting thing in your book about the nudge, the nudge, the nose judging attraction. I want to know about this. How does that work? Well, attraction, we, attraction is based on your senses, which is kind of cool. And you've probably heard this or it may have happened to you. You look at somebody's picture, like you look at a picture online and you're like, wow, they're great. I can't wait to meet them. And then you meet them and nothing happens. You're like, eh, what, what happened? It's because your senses are judging the attraction. So your eyes only have one vote. Now think about it. Your your eyes have one vote. Your nose has one vote. Your skin has another vote. Your um, ears have another vote. So your eyes basically got outvoted. That's why the relationship or the, the attraction didn't continue. So um, your nose senses several different things. So for a woman, one of the major things that a woman's nose is sensing is called major histocompatibility complex. It's a protein that's emitted to the air that's picked up and it can determine the other person's immune system. And we are more attracted to someone of opposite immune system, which makes perfect biological sense because if you were going to have a child produced by this union, it would give you a more complement of immune cells and you would have a healthier child. Men, on the other hand, or and also women are also looking for a metabolite of testosterone. So for men that have higher testosterone, the woman is going to be usually more attracted to that man. Uh, men, on the other hand, are looking for pheromones. One of the major pheromones that he's sensing for is called copulins. Copulins is a pheromone that women produce during ovulation. So she's at peak, peak fertility during that time period. And that's why he's like, hey, so and you've probably been there. I know I have where everybody's like noticing you and life's going pretty good and you're right. winning all day long. <laughs> You know, because you're producing copulins. And the next week, you can't even you can't even flag a cab. You know, nobody's paying attention to you. <laughs> yes, I think every woman can relate to that feeling. <laughs> wow, that's really fascinating. And um, you know, again, another reason why um, you know science is such an important piece of this. I almost hate to ask this question, but what if somebody can't smell somebody like? If somebody doesn't have a sense of smell, how does that play? And you may not know the answer to that. Well, it's not actually your smell. It's not really the, or it's not part of the nose that smells. There's a, this part of the nose that is called the uh, Jacob's organ that would be associated with that. There's people that are not sure that humans have it. We know that animals have it, like horses, it sense, but we think it's more like that. It's not necessarily the sense of smell. Okay, interesting. Very good to know. 
Well, we are going to take a quick break here for a commercial. And when we get back, we will continue to talk to our guest, Don Masler, here about the neuroscience of falling in love. Thank you. We'll be back in a few minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Destination Love. To reach Shelley Pumphrey or her guest today, call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Shelley at ShellyPumphrey.com. Now back to Destination Love. Hello and welcome back to Destination Love. This is Shelley Pumphrey and we are talking to, da- to Don Masler here today. Um, about the neuroscience of falling in love. And um, before we cut for the commercial break, we're talking a little bit about the senses and how that plays into it. Don, I know we talked about the sense of smell. Were there Was there anything else about the senses that we didn't cover um, that yes. play a role in this? Okay, you want to share yeah, that with all us? Your, all your senses actually play a role. So, you, you know, it, the eyes play a role. But here's the thing about the eyes. Men have 25% more neurons in their visual cortex. That's why men place so much more emphasis on looks than women. Wow, that's fascinating. (laughs) That just explains a whole lot, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly, because women go, why can't he just love me for the way I am and stuff? And it's like, well, he can, but you you have to be attracted first. You have to get through the attraction part of it first. And he's going to be a visual guy. Wow. So you want to be, you want to look the best you can. Yeah. That like, I mean, it just explains so much. I think women, you know, a lot of women get so self-conscious about a guy looking at them and, you know, and then we just look at our culture that is so much about women's beauty and, you know, look this perfect way, but feels very connected to attraction and um you know maybe another reason for women to kind of chill out about it (laughs) with themselves and not be so self-conscious I mean yes look you know feel good about how you look but you know if a guy keeps telling you that he's attracted to you and likes the way that you look and he wants to look at you instead of hiding yourself if you don't feel good about your body you know let yourself be seen um it's important yeah, wow. It's important. When he's attracted, he gets a little boost of testosterone. And that little boost of testosterone, it may, basically is gets the uh, engine going. So all kinds of stuff starts happening to him. One of the things is he's got a part of the brain called the sexually dimorphic nucleus of the preoptic area of the hypothalamus. The, wow. short, <laughs> the short name for that is the pursuit spot. Ah, uh-huh. When that pursuit spot hits a little, gets a little boost of testosterone, it's kind of like putting gas on an engine. It's like, poof, that he's ready to pursue. Mm-hmm. So he needs that. And, th- and if he doesn't get that, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have the impetus to pursue. He doesn't, he does not, he, he just will c- walk away going, I'm just not feeling it. Wow. That's pretty powerful. The pursuit spot. All right. So. 
Don't hide yourself. <laughs> right. So that's, that's the eyes. The other thing is okay. the ears. The ears have a big play. Women are more attracted to men with deep voices. And actually, the research shows that they're more likely to remember the guy, too. So that's why nobody ever forgets Barry White singing, right? You know? Right. <laughs> Definitely. You get, you get that deep uh, that deep voice, she's going to remember it. But that just if, you, if you're a guy and you have, don't have a deep voice, it doesn't mean you're not going to be a contender. But um, the, that's part of what women are... Women are attracted more to deep voice. Men are attracted more to high voices, which makes sense. So women tend to have higher voices. Um, mm-hmm. So the, but the ears also have a play. We have a um, a frequency that we like to listen to that sounds pleasant to us, which may be different than somebody else. So I've had I've had women. I've had actually had men. Uh, sorry, say that I've they've talked to women that they met, they were like, oh, she's great. She's wonderful. I show up at the coffee shop and she's got a voice that's like uh, nails on a chalkboard to me. So, yeah. that you know, that happens and boom, the attraction's gone. And then the last thing is actually your environment or, or I should say like your skin is picking up on your environment. So if I go, I tell people, what's the best place to have your first date? At a coffee shop, get something hot. Get, make sure they get something hot because if you're holding something hot, you're going to think that the person in front of you is warmer and more generous. And the research shows if you're holding something cold, you're going to think that they're more cold and a little more stoic. Wow. And if you're that's see- fascinating, it is. It's fascinating. I love this stuff. I, this. Um, that's why I spent so much time doing. It's like, oh man, well, you know, just keep researching it and. You want to find more, find more. Um, the other thing is where you're, what you're sitting on. If you're sitting on a nice cushy couch, you know, holding a warm cup of coffee, you're in good shape because the, the softness of the couch makes you feel that you're warm and comfortable. And then if you're sitting on like a cold, hard chair, you're going to actually think that the other person is kind of cold and hard. So all oh. those things come into play. Yeah, that... Uh, now I know exactly how to tell people to go on their first dates. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people want to go sit out on a patio with a nice cold margarita. <laughs> <laughs> but having that nice warm coffee might be the way to do it. Interesting. Yes, that's that's the best way to do it. It, it gives you the best impression to start out with. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good to know. So let's see, we covered touch, smell, taste, um, hearing, well, actually, no, we didn't visual. cover taste. We didn't. Oh, cover we didn't taste. do taste, did we? That's no. it. Well, taste. Tell us. So, taste is also important. You know, have you ever, um, you ever notice that Valentine's Day? Remember, Val- Valentine's Day is coming up. They give you those little hearts. So it's like be mine and those yeah. type of things. Yeah. It's basically pure sugar. So the research shows that when you fall in love, things taste sweeter. Uh So conversely, if you give somebody something that's sugar or sweet, they may start having ideas of love. (laughs) (laughs) So interesting. That's one of the reasons why in the beginning the guy shows up with some candy. Uh huh. Now I know the reason why there's so many chocolates on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Well, chocolate is another thing. Chocolate actually is good for long term. Once you're fallen in love, then you want to go to chocolate. You graduate. So the little <laughs> sweethearts, <laughs> little sweethearts are in the beginning. So you want mm-hmm. them to be yours, to be mine. And then once you once you're in love, the chocolate helps give a little boost of dopamine, and dopamine is associated with passion. Oh, I love it! Wow. Okay, I love this stuff. This is so fascinating. <laughs> I'm so excited to learn this. Um, cool. Okay. So we covered the senses. Well, we go. Well, there's one more, too, I forgot to mention. Tell us. The, the nose picks up more than just those biological things. Uh-huh. There's, a, there's a connection between the memory and the sense of smell. So if you, you've probably... You've probably heard this where they say if you're going to sell a house, you put cinnamon in the oven because uh-huh. the smell is associated with grandma's home and home and that type of thing. Right. Well, your 
So if a man's wearing like a certain cologne or if a man gives you flowers you sm- and you like that guy, you're going to be, every time you smell those flowers, you'll remember him. Or every time you smell his cologne, you'll remember him. So the, if you, uh, let's say your grandfather wore a certain aftershave and you really loved your grandfather, if a guy shows up and wearing that same aftershave, you can get those warm memories, those warm fuzzies associated with that guy that were that were imprinted because of your grandfather. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. There's all kinds of tricks you can do. Yes. <laughs> not to not to purposely play tricks, but it's really really some interesting stuff to try to help um, that attraction grow. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, so anything else on the senses that we should know? Uh, I think I got it. There's probably like obviously a whole book on stuff, but um, to cover it here, that's a lot. So one of the other things that I wanted to ask about is, is that you call falling in love temporary insanity. Tell us why you say that. This is my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody loves falling in love. They just have no idea what's happening to their brain. (laughs) So, we think we're ecstatic and we're happy. And, you know, the serotonin, the hormone of happiness, changes. What would you expect, it to go up or down? I would expect it would go up. Yeah, everybody says that. Yeah, right? It drops. It plummets. The hormone of happiness drops to the level of someone with OCD, obsessive compulsive wow. disorder. That's why you're can't you're constantly calling them or texting them and want to be around them all the time you know you pick up the phone and like you can't get off the phone you're like you hang up no you hang up that's because your serotonin level so low uh-huh at the same time your cortisol level is skyrocketing so that's why you can't eat you can't sleep you're just fully anxious falling in love is the only time where your serotonin level usually your serotonin level and your oxytocin level which is the cuddle hormone the bonding hormone is usually diametrically opposed if one mm-hmm. goes up it goes down but falling in love is where they both go up right and that's one of the reasons why stress is so important is that if your stress level is high it, it tends to push down oxytocin the bonding hormone so you want to try to keep your bonding hormone high when you're in a relationship so those are your that your uh, at the same time a woman's testosterone increases so she's like more aggressive more amorous you know the sex is going good and the the guy's testosterone conversely drops Mm. which is great because when his testosterone blocks the effects of oxytocin so now when his testosterone blocks he's mr cuddle bunny Uh uh-huh he's all in love and he's into it and oh wow that's interesting so those those are your neurotransmitters, and of course, you know your endorphins increase, and because you're having sex all the times, and, and you're feeling no pain, everything feels wonderful. Those are your neurotransmitters. Let's what's happening here in your brain is equally fascinating. So when you fall in love, parts of your brain deactivate. One of the main deactivation points we already talked about is the amygdala, the part that sounds the alarm. But the other one is your ventral medial prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that judges the other person. That's why they say that love is blind, because you really can't see them for who they truly are. You tend to look at the bright side. You tend to be be rose-colored glasses. I know you've been there, because I every woman's been there, where your friend is dating some guy, and you're like, what do you see in this guy? Right, right. He's such a loser. And they're like, no, isn't he wonderful? <laughs> because our ventral medial prefrontal cortex is off the is taken offline. And what happens is these those are taken offline for about two years. And eventually you get your brain back. So one day you're, she wakes up and goes, what was I thinking? Well, you know, and you, why didn't you tell me he was a loser? And we're like, we've been trying to tell you this for years. But that's what that's what happens to your brain. And it's it's mother's nature's way of getting two people close together long enough to really build a bond to sustain love. Right. The other the other thing that happens is really interesting. 
we see a deactivation of your right hemisphere. It's the same deactivation we see when people use the drug cocaine. Oh, yeah. So you're getting wow. that, you get that cocaine euphoric buzz. Mm-hmm. When you love. And here's, that's the interesting part. Here's the funny part. When you fall in love, that's what's happening, the cocaine effect. <laughs> when you stay in love, we see an activation of when you're in long-term love, when you look at your loved one, we see the same type of deactivation or acti- uh, activity as when a parent looks at a baby, their loved baby. You know, when a mother looks at her baby uh-huh. and goes, oh, we see that same effect when uh, two people in love look at each other from across the room. What that does is it triggers the PG, PAG, perioctal gray area of the brain that produces a hor- uh, an effect almost like using a pain relieving effect using um, heroin. It's an opiate. So it's full of opioid receptors. Wow. So falling in love is being a coke addict. Staying in love is being a heroin addict. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to think of it that way now. <laughs> all of us drug addicts here. Wow. That's so interesting. Um, God, it just... You know, it, I, I just love this information because, again, like people don't realize that there's so much behind how we fall in love with people. Like yes. you'd never imagine that all of this was at play. We also see an act deactivation of our parietal lobes in mm-hmm. part of the um, temporal lobes. The It's important those two lobes are so well, the parietal lobes are associated with selfishness. So when it's deactivated, you tend to be selfless. You're putting the other person first. And I think that Mother Nature's way of showing you this is what love is really about. Mm, Wow. And does the does that continue for the duration of the relationship or can that end over some point at some point? It ends after about two years. You get your brain back. Okay. I think maybe we can talk a little bit about that when we come back um, okay. from the commercial break. Because I, yeah, I'd like to, I'm really curious about that, about how long all of this takes to wear off and what persists over time. So, um, again, we're sitting here talking to Don Masler about the science of love. And we are going to break for a commercial. If you want to visit me at thelovestrategist.com to learn more about um, all of my guests on Destination Love and any kind of relationship oriented topics check me out there we'll be back in a few minutes streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com attention if you're a parent educator social worker or civic or religious leader the most important program you'll hear this week is exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guests show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Destination Love. To reach Shelley Pumphrey or her guest today, call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Shelley at ShellyPumphrey.com. Now back to Destination Love. Welcome back to Destination Love. This is Shelley Pumphrey. And again, a reminder that you can find me at thelovestrategist.com or follow me on Facebook at AuthenticDate.com. 
And we are here continuing our conversation, a fascinating conversation, I have to say, with Don Masler. The, um, I just like, I'm fascinated. I told her over the break that my the science nerd inside of me is salivating over this information. So hopefully, it's uh, as fascinating to everybody else as it is to the two of us. <laughs> Um, so before we took a break, we start. We kind of alluded to this next question of how long does all of this last? Like, obviously, falling in love is temporary. Tell us about how and why this doesn't last forever. At least that's okay. my assumption. <laughs> so the research shows that falling in love, that whole brain deactivation and neurotransmitters going haywire, lasts between one and three years. The average is about two years. Here's the interesting thing. When when uh, Dr. Helen Fisher, she's one of the pioneers in the science of love, started doing her research, she found that the highest amount of divorces in any given year is during that two-year mark. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. The brain comes back. You don't think you're in love. Boom, divorce. But what I think is happening, and some some cut and dry researchers will say that's just mother nature does it just enough time for you to produce a child and get it through its first year, which is the, the year that it's most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So that kind of makes biological sense, but I take a different view. I, cause I looked at what is involved when it comes to real love, to true love, I call it. Um, and I call it true love is because your brain comes back. And once your brain comes back, you're no longer in this, biochemical haze now you make a decision you can you choose to practice what you learned when you fell in love or not and if you don't tend to practice it the relationship will usually probably end pro probably end so what did we learn when we fell in love well one of the things we learn is that we look at the best in the other person so they did a study and they said, they asked people in long-term relationships, what are the characteristics that you have? And they looked at a bunch of different people and a bunch of different couples, and they only found one thing in common. And that was the ability to maintain positive illusions of the other. So in other words, when that ventral medial prefrontal cortex came back, their critical judgment returned. And they had a choice. They could start looking at the other person and go, ugh. He snores, he leaves his socks on the floor, he smacks his lip when he eats. This guy is like a loser. Or they can say, "I he's wonderful, I like the way he smells, he's got these great qualities. They can look at the good side or the bad side. And whichever mm -hmm. way they choose is usually going to dictate what happens to the relationship. You start looking at the negative, stress builds up, cortisol level rises, oxytocin level goes down, the connection is severed. Interesting. Wow. So there's some conscious effort that people can apply to maintain that feeling and that connection in a relationship. After that two-year mark, the whole thing becomes conscious. Yeah, right. Really interesting. That just, I, I'm... You may not be uh, aware of this. Are you familiar with attachment styles at all? Uh, I'm familiar with it, but I didn't study it because I'm okay. not a psychologist. I'm a biologist. So I come from right. a slightly different uh, standpoint or a different viewpoint. Yeah, I, w I just was curious because one of the, uh, there's an avoidant attachment that I do a lot of work with uh, different attachment styles and the avoidant attachment really has a hard time looking at the positive qualities in people and um, can really focus in on those um, more superficial things that will keep them distanced from a partner and essentially, you know, end or sever the attachment. So I was just, I mean, it just kind of sparked my my mind to, you know, I'm wondering if there's some connection there between that part of the brain and um, this type of attachment, but I'll have to investigate well, that. I, I can tell you what I know about what's happening in your brain. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, the psychology, I'm not, I'm not familiar with those theories as much uh -huh. because I'm looking usually at measurable chemicals and that type of thing. But what I see is when your brain comes back, your amygdala tends to be more active. 
And the amygdala is associated with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And for you to get close to somebody, it takes vulnerability. And that vulnerability creates more anxiety. So somebody who has a um, attachment disorder, avoider, uh, whatever the way you called it, I can't remember mm-hmm. this name, they probably have a bigger problem with anxiety. Yeah. And we know we, we know we can study certain uh, serotonin levels with people, and um, some people tend to be more sensitive, and so those may be those people. So they, they're, they're more sensitive, more afraid. Right. Um, but again, what we talked about, like meditation, spirituality, all those type of things can help those people become more like that, and also, or less like that. And then also focusing on what they uh, pay attention, what they focus on. So I told you I had that group. I have, I've had groups before. One of the groups I had, there was a woman in it, and she was probably had this uh, avoider thing that you were talking about. She was married to this guy for about two years, and she would come to my group and she would just seethe. She was just angry all the time. And she's like, you know, he's really a jerk. And if he just realized he was a jerk, then everything would be okay. And why can't he understand that he's a jerk? And of course, nobody wants to be a jerk. So they're going to they're gonna push that person away. And that's what he did. And he divorced her. And she still he- held on to that. And it's mm-hmm. like, why? It turns out that a lot of it was her background. Mm-hmm. And her, when she was younger, her father, uh, her mother died. So she's got this grief thing going on. But in addition to the grief thing, the father married quickly and brought in this other woman and basically was like, okay, nothing's really changed. Just go on with life. So the poor kid never was able to grieve. And then he got, she got this replacement mother that the father never grieved. And it just, she, he replaced her so quickly. She couldn't understand how, um, how he could have really loved his, her mother to begin with. Mm-hmm. So she, she had all these issues when it came to love and relationship. And she's like, he's a jerk. And it's really her father. Right. Right. <laughs> feeling this for that was a jerk. So um, there's a lot more to those, uh, those things that, because we, we're, it's all, the memories are all associated with that. We're, the hippocampus, which is the memory part of our brain, is uh-huh. activated and all that stuff. So all those type of things come into play. Right. Not just one little simple thing. It's very complex how all of this balances out. Really yes. interesting. I have another question that, that keeps um, popping up for me, too, kind of maybe off of this topic that we're discussing. But the, So the topic of your book or the title of your book is Men Chase, Women Choose. Can mm-hmm. you explain why that or what you mean by that? Well, it, Men Chase, Women Choose is a biological term or not biological term, but is based on biology. In biology, it's the sect that has that takes the greatest risk, which would be the female, because she could become pregnant, have to raise a child, or a litter if it was in another species, takes takes the greatest risk, is um, more discerning. And it would be pursued by the sex that takes the least amount of risk. That comes, that comes species-wide. Every species, and it's mostly males chase, women or females choose. We have a few different ones like seahorses where the males carry the babies that they become more discerning. There's a cricket that that's more discerning, but for the majority of it, it's men chase women's shoes. Okay. So where, where does that come into play with us? Well, men, as I said, they have that pursuit spot that gets triggered by testosterone and he's going to, if he's attracted to somebody, it, it fires up and he's going to pursue. He's built to pursue. He's got parts of his brain. They're, they're based, uh, 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 has a maze effect, you know, so th- that's one of the reasons why he never stops to ask directions is because he doesn't need to, because he's got this like geographical maze in his brain and he just needs to orientate himself. I love it. Uh, there's, there's the explanation for that with men. Yes. Um, and then, but also there's a thing when a man is chasing, he's looking for someone who is discerning. 
because that's his biological nature. And if mm-hmm. a woman starts chasing him, there's going to be something. He's going to back up. I call it the possum effect. Why doesn't the predator pursue the possum when the possum rolls over? It's because it, it it's too easy. There's something wrong. So it backs him up. Oh, wow. And now that right there speaks volumes to me because that that is something that I talk to women about all the time. Yes. Um, that really explains the scientifically why it's not good to pursue. No. No, yeah. and it doesn't give him it doesn't give him the required neurotransmitters to keep going to mm-hmm. fall in love. Wow. Because he needs the dopamine, he needs all that that the dopamine is increases by a challenge. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't have that challenge, he loses interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. That I that just um I love that you shared that because it it just now I have a reason to tell people that. <laughs> I mean, a scientific reason. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. So is there any any last minute thoughts or tips or anything that you want to share with our listeners here today that we haven't covered? Well, the really cool thing that I learned from doing all this research is that true love is possible, but true love is really about you. It's really about us and it's about our personal expansion. So sometimes when we say true love, we think of it's forever, but it's not necessarily forever. If, if, as long as you're growing and you're happy, the relationship can last. And if it breaks apart, it's not really bad thing. It just means you're, you need to grow in another area. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that's really helpful to know. So um, I appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. It's been really eye-opening for me um, and hopefully for everybody that's been listening. Like my brain is just kind of going in all these directions right now. So I'm just like, wow. I just want to say one thing. If they want to learn more, they can learn more at dawnmasler.com. You can follow me on Facebook on Twitter or Instagram. It's all my name, Dawn, D-A-W-N-M-A-S-L-A-R. Um, and I'm on all the like social Pinterest and all that kind of fun stuff. Excellent. And and again, the name of your book, you want to share that one more time with us? Men, want chase, to read it? Men chase, Women Choose, The Neuroscience of Meeting, Dating, Losing Your Mind, and Finding True Love. I love it. It's a mouthful and a, and a brainful when you really start to take all this in. But um, I can tell you the book is is actually very, uh, you know, even though it's based on a lot of science, it's very easy to read and understand. And Don has a really great way of just kind of putting it all into a context that makes you want to learn more and will help you understand exactly why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. So I highly recommend it. So Dawn, thank you. And I just want to let everybody know that next week we will be interviewing um, one of my colleagues, Camille Virginia, and she is going to be here to talk about offline dating because, you know, here in the modern day world, we're all into this online dating and a lot of people just absolutely despise it. And I invited Camille to come and talk with us. And Don, you probably know of Camille from our, our mutual groups. And um, she's going to help us understand like that there actually are a lot of ways to meet people offline and to kind of help us open up our mindset, our energy, and just our experiences so that we aren't so stuck in the online dating world to find a partner. So that'll be a fascinating conversation. Um, and again, thank you for joining us. If you want to find me at thelovestrategist.com, I'm available for coaching. Um, and you can also take the love quiz if you want to find out what your love style is. Um, we will see you next week. This is Shelley Pumphrey and Don Masler with Destination Love. you for making a weekly visit to Destination Love. Please join Shelley Pumphrey again next Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be brave, be you, be loved. <laughs>